Hey, what's going on? It's Kyle George. And I'm Rodney Harris. <laughs> and Jeremiah. <you> are <laughs> Wait, <laughs> let me introduce you. Okay. <laughs> <You're listening> <laughs> <to> <laughs> <angle>. <laughs> All right. So as you heard, the other voice, um, <laughs> we do have a special guest. But before we jump, before we uh, formally introduce our guests, as always, we start every episode Rod, how's your mental health, brother? Man, my mental right now is a little crazy. Um, <laughs> this week started off fine. Or I would start my weeks on Sundays and just roll from Sundays into the week. It started off cool. Um, and just some bad news just a couple of, a couple of hours ago. And, and it's like, all right. Now I'm back down to worrying. Now I'm back down to my mind scrambled. Now I'm back down to like I'm at a five. I'm not. I'm at. I'm not full blow low yet. Please, let's not get there. But five is on. See the Tyler in, in the in between right now, man. It's a little touch and go. I'm a little nervous, and um, just hopes and prayers, and everything's gonna be okay. And this too shall pass. How's your mental health, brother? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, we already spoke off air, so you know, brother, I'm always here. If you, you know, whatever whatever I can do, even if it's just words, which before I even talk about my mental health, I just want to put that out there. Um, folks, if you know somebody who's going through something and they do come to you, remember that sometimes it's not always money. Sometimes, you know, we know that you can't physically be there, but just being, but just, you know, having words or just listening can really help get that person through. So I just want to put that out there first and foremost. Um, my mental health is actually pretty good as of right now. Um, I had a great weekend. Um, uh, the missus, the little one and I got to hang out with some friends and have, have brunch on Sunday, you know, um, and men having brunch is not a bad thing. All right. We're going to we're going to continue to erase that that stigma stigma. Uh, but um, <laughs> mimosas are amazing. <laughs> but but um, but also we got to see the uh New Jersey, New York Gotham team, which is our uh, women's soccer team. So on Sunday, and that was awesome, except for the ref. He was trash. Um, I want him fired and expunged from the league. <laughs> All right. It was disgusting and demeaning. Um, but um, but no, honest. So and this week has been pretty good so far. So my mental is 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 that an eight, you know, a solid eight. You know what I mean? So and and I'm just really enjoying enjoying things. So right now, uh, I would like to introduce our guest. He is a musician. The man is a chess master. Um, but also he is one of the newest hosts on PRN uh, Fridays at one o'clock called the baseline. So make sure y'all go check that out. His name is Jeremiah Hosea. <laughs> Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. No, man, listen, I'm happy you are here and I we got to get you on the show. Um, man, you are nothing but a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, the baseline has been so interesting. And the guests you've had so far 
have 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 so much information and so much knowledge about so many different things. Um, you know, I, if if I can compare it to a show, <laughs> it's like ours. No, but but um, but no, honestly, man, the baseline is great. I'm happy you 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 are able to have this platform to speak your mind. Um, I appreciate I guess, that. So you know what? Let's actually start with that. So, what made you want to do the baseline and? The opportunity, you know, uh, you know, you and I know, you know, the opportunity came through a mutual friend, um, yeah. and uh, just, just how, how, how did you feel when the opportunity presented itself? Oh man, it was like an incredible feeling that, you know, it just suddenly opened up for me this opportunity because I'll tell you. I've wanted to have my own radio show for a long time. People have told me I need my own radio show for a long time. I was a guest on a bunch of different shows on WBAI. I think I might hold the record for being the guest on the most different shows of WBAI. Like one time I had the honor of co-hosting in place of um, Teokas and Ghost Horse on First Voices Indigenous Radio. Um, I've been on a lot of different shows. Uh, I first um, debuted on WBAI through an old family friend, the late Robert Knight. So I've always been around the community radio thing, the independent radio thing for a while. I've been a super avid caller to BAI for years. And then over the past few years, became more aware of the progressive radio network and, of course, became an avid caller on PRN. And have been, you know, amazed at the wealth of that community. I have chess students out of that community. I have people in my information sharing group. So that's been great, just being connected with PRN. But then the opportunity came up that my old friend, Catherine Davis, asked if I was ready to host a show. I said, count me all the way in. She said, can you host? She's like, when could you start? I said, right now. (laughs) (laughs) So she said, um, what about this Friday? I said, yeah. And then um, I didn't realize, I guess it was like Thursday night or something. She's like, you all set for tomorrow? I'm like, oh, we're doing this tomorrow. Like I was ready, but I didn't realize it was official. So I was just kind of jumping in there and flying by the seat of my pants and was really lucky to have a great friend, one of my best friends, oldest friends in the world, who I co-produced with, performed with, incredible guitar player, Ryan Waters. Um, Sade's lead guitar player did two world tours with Sade, played with Prince, um, just phenomenal musician, phenomenal dude. He happened to be in New York, so I had a brilliant in-studio guest and I was off to a good start. And then, you know, some of these guests have just, it's been like magic, brother. Like, you know, you're the one who receives the call and I'm like, are, are they there? Like, you know, we have email communications and they say, I'm like Dr. Merrill Nass, Steve Kirsch, they said they would be there. And I'm like prepared for them to cancel, but they don't. Everyone's come through. So knocking on some wood over here. I just hope my guests just keep coming through so strong like that, you know? Yeah. And um, no, definitely. Yeah. Everyone is a different angle. I try each each show. I, I try to have a different angle, sort of like as a performer. I would never want to give you just generically just the exact same show. 
you're always seeing something unique that day that no one can ever say they've seen before or after. So that's how I try to make my show. And I try to come in no. from the angles that aren't being covered. No, yeah. And and it's funny, you know, not that, you know, I mean, obviously that's the name of the show, but <laughs> um, but well, that's it's funny, right, right? Free plug on our own show, that's crazy. Um but uh but that's also how we approached it, right? So and that's why I prefaced it by saying that there is a lot of similarities between our shows, even though topics mm. might be different, it really is about approaching it with different eyes and different ears and different voices right yeah everybody has their own voice everybody mm -hmm. has a a a massive amount of different thoughts right because that's normal obviously but mm -hmm. not everybody has a platform uh given now granted we do now like and not just us but i mean the world right we have so many different platforms to speak our minds now be it mm -hmm. twitter x whatever you want to call it be it youtube uh be it you know uh uh, uh oh God, everything yeah spotify Odyssey. <laughs> yeah there's like there's literally so many and instagram <laughs> no yeah definitely social media period right right so you know i think it's really I, I think it's good when when you do have something unique to you you know and i mean look your host ha i mean your host your guest has you know, we even you and I were speaking. You was like, I didn't even think I could get this person, and yeah. boom! And I've been amazed. Listen, man, and that, but that's but that's the blessing, right? So, so you brought up your very first guest, one of your oldest friends. We're gonna jump into music because you, sir, are a bass player. Yeah, play electric and, bass. Yep, and first off, that's awesome in itself. You know, you're talking to two music lovers here, so that's. Awesome. That's so, you know, awesome and unique in itself. Yeah. Uh, what got you into music? What bands have you uh, created or been in? Um, yeah. And what projects have come to run? You know what? I my first talent as a as a musician was as a music listener. Before I really demonstrated any particular ability in playing music. My mom used to take me to Carnegie Hall when I was three years old, and I had this really special ability for just sitting there and just listening as a three-year-old, like to the point that adults would, would try to whisper and I'd shush them because I had it clear in my mind. You go to see the music and you don't say a word. You listen quietly. And I just had this strange discipline that I'd sit there and listen to this symphonic music. Then, you know, I took piano lessons as a kid. I wasn't too excited about it. Like I, I did it, but I just didn't really have passion for it. Didn't really know what I was doing. You know, played in one piano recital, played decently, didn't do anything incredible, but had basic ability. Then I wanted to play guitar because I don't know what I saw. But I was like, oh, it's cool to play guitar, but I wasn't ready to play guitar at all. I, I was more into basketball, really. And I realized that actually, oh, I'm not, I'm not so into this. I thought you could just like pick up the guitar and be really cool. And when it was like, oh, this is like hard. I'm like, uh, I'm not feeling just sitting here with my fingers hurting and trying to figure out what a chord is and everything. So 
you know, I had a little fake start and stop with music at that time. But then I was 15 years old. I was hanging out with some older friends of mine in Harlem and we were listening to Jimi Hendrix. And I swear to you, I didn't even I didn't know who Jimi Hendrix was. I didn't know what we were listening to. The music was just on. And something in that moment, it was like the music just started like cascading over me. And it was almost like a voice in my head was like, you are a musician now. You are a musician now. And it was just this weird thing. I said, who, who is this? What, what is this music? And my friends, they just started laughing. They're like, this is Jimi Hendrix, dude. You don't know who Jimi Hendrix is? I'm like, I, I didn't know who he was, actually. And, you know, that was just, to me, the introduction to music as just this magical experience. You know, it was the music, but it was also the poetry. It was just the the the, the ambiance, the, the, the everything around it. You know, it's like a good friend of mine pointed out years later, Jimi Hendrix, you know, really gets kind of mischaracterized uh, as a great guitar player, which he obviously is. But way beyond that, he's a creative force. Like he came up with sounds that no one else came up with that sound before, you know? And I think he's also a great poet of the 20th century. Oh, there's some Harlem in the background for you. So sorry about that. But um, yeah, that's when I started playing. And, um, you know, I had a band with some good friends of mine called Sacred Circus. And Sacred Circus was like a pretty cool band. Like my parents were like pretty surprised and the little group of friends that we had, like some, you know, 35 people or something at our first gig. And people were like hyped because it was like, wait, you guys like wrote some cool songs. You know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing at that time. And there was so much growth to be had. But, you know, like we did do something cool at that time. And then the lead singer of that band got a record deal. And, you know, he's just a brilliant all-around musician, was in the Boys Choir of Harlem, went to LaGuardia School of Music, was just multi-instrumentalist, rapping, producing his own beats, making his own R&B songs, just doing everything, you know, just, I, I think of that brother as like, you know, just one of those just undersung geniuses of the inner city type of thing, you know, but he eventually he got his record deal. Um, Olu is his name. He had um, a really great album called Soul Catcher. And I was in that band and that was sort of the beginning of my career. And then um, I formed Earth Driver, which was like a big mothership kind of situation. It was like people who I had handpicked and invited into this creative cipher. And with my boy Ryan, who I mentioned in the first place is sort of the technical engineer of our project and me as sort of the social engineer of the project inviting people in we made this really cool album that i'm very proud of to this day called no one slave and um yeah there's two earth driver albums there's no one slave and then there's earth driver and then i also produced an album i'm very proud of featuring a poet named sharif simmons i produced an album called the echo effect two of those songs wound up on an emmy nominated soundtrack and um, it's a great spoken word album, honestly. Like he's sort of an heir apparent to Gil Scott Heron, who was a big influence on me. I used to see Gil Scott Heron live on numerous occasions down at SOBs, where I had a lot of my sort of informal music education. My mom knew the owner and I could get on the list whenever I wanted. And I just treated myself to seeing lots of great shows and music from around the world until eventually I was playing there. And, you know, I was a, all of a sudden I was studying philosophy and history in Hunter College. I did 
pretty well, met a bunch of great friends there, but had an opportunity to play, to tour and make money. And I left and I never really looked back. And from being a bass player, just an upstart bass player at that time, all of a sudden you're just kind of like thrown into the deep end of the pool and people are calling you like, hey, you play bass? Hey, like you need a bass player. And all of a sudden I'm just on a bunch of gigs. And eventually I went on to play with James Blood Ulmer. I'm not sure how many people would know his name, but he was the harmonic guitar player. He was the guitar player for Ornette Coleman. You know, Ornette Coleman was such a titan of the 20th century that his disciples are masters and, you know, legends in their own right. Charlie Hayden comes to mind, um, Jamaluddin Takuma, Grant Calvin Weston, who I had the honor of touring with, with James Blood Ulmer. Um, and yeah, so I owe everything to Blood Ulmer for one thing. He taught me the blues. He gave me an opportunity way beyond my experience level. I mean, he just threw me into the fire, basically. And it's kind of, you know, it's a special thing. You know, I don't know how much of that is going on anymore where an older musician or you know a, a more experienced musician grabs a younger musician and says no i'm putting you through the fire you know and the crazy thing was i i swear to you guys i'll be honest with you after my first gig with james blood ulmer i was terrified i was like i want to go home i don't want to do the rest of the tour this is too hard for me but you know it, I, you know, I was doing, I had a, I had some good people. I had my friend Queen Esther was the lead singer in that band. She's like, no, you're doing a good job. Just stick with it. And, you know, next thing I know, I, I did multiple tours with Blood and, you know, really got a, like, it feels like a, a, a suit of armor from those experiences. Because, you know, Blood will keep you on your toes. He's a real artist. You know, you, you he's very mysterious. And then you start realizing, oh, this guy knows exactly what he's doing, actually. He's not a legend by accident. Like, he's very particular about what he does. Like, for example, he has these long guitar melodies that are instrumental melodies, as far as you know. But he actually has a word assigned to every, every note in the melody that he doesn't sing. Like, it might not be a lyric that's ever sang, but there's, he knows what he's saying when he's playing something, yeah. you know? So, you know, I learned a ton from him. Um, Kirsch Kale is a great tabla player um, who's like, to me, he's the, you know, he's still the number one dude in terms of India elect Indian electronica. I mean, there's also his boys, the medieval pundits, who I got to hang out with a little bit. But Kirsch Kale, in terms of playing traditional tablas and mixing that with hyper electronic beats that he programmed, and he's also an awesome trap kit player. Um, and we met playing with Gigi, who's one of the most famous Ethiopian singers, one of the greatest Ethiopian singers of all time, Iji Gaeu Shababao. Um, I toured with her, went to Europe only once, unfortunately, toured around the country, did a tour with Baba Mal, um, which was a great experience. Um, and that was just, you know, that was just magical because Gigi is just a magical artist. I mean, unfortunately, she hasn't really been out there performing so much i don't think over the past several years um she's kind of backed away from the stage but you know she's a was a really special talent to be supporting you know she just she's she's the voice of an angel she starts to sing and everyone's just shocked and hypnotized right. 
So it's just kind of a powerful experience, <laughs> like standing behind her and seeing this effect of how she just washes over people, you know? Um, <laughs> people would say that Beyonce effect, if you would. Yeah, no. right. Exactly. <laughs> I play with Tamar Kali, too. I definitely want to shout out Tamar Kali is, you know, they call the Geechee goddess of warrior hardcore soul. Played with her for years and years. Um, we were featured um, in the documentary Afropunk. We had a little cameo in the movie Pariah. And um, yeah, Tamara is just, she's badass, you know, she's one of those people that, you know, everyone in New York City who knows her knows like, yo, Tamara is just, is just the stuff, you know, but, you know, she hasn't gotten the industry recognition, I feel that she deserves. She got, she's actually doing some soundtrack work now that she's getting some, some cred, but it's like, no, let her rock with her band because that's really her and her element. She's a great songwriter. And we're just like, you know, her five piece band. She has a few projects and I'm in her five piece and we're just, you know, her soldiers, basically. She writes everything Could just sing every part we need to play by ear. And we just, you know, we give it our all for her. And then, um, you know, I played with uh, a, a kind of a legendary band from the from New England, kind of upstate New York area called Moon Boot Lover. Uh, me and Swiss Chris, who is the original drummer for Earth Driver, we toured for a while backing up one of my best friends, also Peter Prince, who's um, just just a phenomenal dude, man. Like, I just love that dude. So, I mean, all these people I love, but Peter is like, um, as a songwriter, I just, I just, you know, I've learned so much from just hanging out with that dude. He's just, uh, I call him a quadruple threat. He's a great singer, player, writer, and performer, you know, just super prolific. I mean, even my dad, who is my, my late father, who was a major supporter of my career and always just, you know, so supportive of everything and, and watched very closely all that I was involved with. He described Peter. He was like, that guy is like in the 99.99th percentile of talented people who are not world famous. Like, you know, he's famous in his own right, but, you know, he should be, the dude should be world famous. He's just a great guitar player and great singer and has just written a ton of great songs. And also I'll add one more thing about him, which is he's so great at, um, at going into totally different emotions. You know, he'll do like a really gut wrenching, sad song and just do a funny song you know which like will genuinely make you laugh like not everyone could pull off the range and then just just some straight rock or some straight funk he'll just give it to you you know so he could just go through all the ranges and um backing him up was just you know another great honor but um you know liddell mcclin was a great guitar player out of chicago he's been residing in paris i haven't played with him in years but had a great run with him playing for years play with a great violin player for one particular tour named Lily Hayden, who's actually a violin player who plays with P-Funk. Lily um, invited me over to her place after I rocked with Kirsch Calais in Los Angeles at the Wiltern. I hope that venue's still there on Western and whatever that, I forget, it's like the combination, the name is the combination of the two streets that intersects or whatever. But um, after this gig at the Wiltern, Lily, who I had already toured with, said, George Clinton is coming over to my place. you got to come over 
and meet George. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm there. Where's the car? Yeah. So it's funny. So I went to her place and she had some real nice apartment, like in some kind of felt like I was going up a hill or kind of like at the end of the, you know, up the top of the hill or whatever. And then, you know, we're waiting for George and we're waiting for George. And we're waiting. I'm thinking, okay, damn, George isn't going to show up. But it's like, we waited and waited. Like, we're not going to miss this opportunity. We waited so much. George showed up at like four in the morning. Jeez. It's like, okay, time time for the jam session, <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh, we just, it's like, okay, he showed up. So we just, we all just started grooving and he was just moaning. He was like, he wasn't projecting his voice, but he was just moaning and just with his eyes closed and just gliding melodically through whatever was going on. So, um, you know, thanks to Lily Hayden, I got to jam with George Clinton. That's, that's amazing, man. And it's so funny that you bring up James, um, James Bond, because, it, it, my grandfather was a big avid music listener. He listened to everything. We actually, I was just talking about this with my uncles. Um, that pop used to listen to everything. So, two albums I remember him ha- um, listening to, I believe it was Odyssey. Ah. And, um, I think it was Black Rock. Yeah, oh, that's crazy stuff. Yeah. So, I remember him listening because I remember the album covers, and I remember asking who that is, and he told me. So that's funny that you bring up small man. That's crazy. Yeah, small world, man. Yeah, James Blood-Omer, I'll tell you just to say real quick, he cannot be imitated. Inimitable guitar player. Like you could be a great musician. And you could sit there and try to, and some people are like copy machines nowadays. It's kind of an annoying thing, actually, in music. It's like, okay, you're a great copy machine, but you cannot copy James Blood Olman, man. Isn't that what they say about John Mayer, right? It doesn't, can't, John, they say he has like seven fingers, you know, like that's the, that's the, the line that they say because the way he plays his guitar is like insane. Santana, they said it about Santana too. It, it's, yeah, oh my God. Santana. Some of these guys just have certain riffs that nobody else can really play. Santana's a little different though, because like you can't come up with what he came up with, but you can imitate him. Because he made such a clear, like he's the most recognizable in a way. Fair enough. Yeah. Up there, Santana. Like you walk into the store, up Santana, play play one note, up Santana. I never heard this song, that Santana. <laughs> you know, because it's just yeah. like that tone and that feel is so particular. You yeah. know, but he's influenced so many people. You know. Now going now that you mastered the bass guitar, being 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 a musician and getting around so many greats. And touring and getting that down. What? Where did chess come in? To be a chess master is not easy. Oh yeah, no, no. Let me let me clarify something. First of all, I was going to clarify that for total transparency. I am not a chess master. I'm not a master because there is a there is an actual level of chess. There's a title. A master. Yeah. So so basically, I'll break it down for you guys. Like uh, an expert is two thousand. You know, um, a master is. 2100 i think or 20 2100 is like master 2200 i think you call like national master 2300 is what you call international master 2500 plus special stipulations is called grandmaster and then there's this really rare category of the 2700 club which are the super grandmasters basically your nba all-stars of chess 
Um, I was on the second best elementary school chess team in the country when I was a kid. I competed in nationals in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Um, my team came in second place nationally every year I competed. And the reason why we came in second place was because of Josh Waitskin, who is the re- the um, subject of the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you know, we got our butt kicked, but they made a movie about the guy. So, hey, you know, we could feel, feel decent about that, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was a junior varsity player. My, one of my best friends at that time, Aziz Aisham, was one of the you know, better players in the country for that age group or whatever. And he, you know, I was just kind of his tag along in a way like, oh yeah, chess is pretty cool. I wasn't taking it as seriously as some of the other kids. I didn't have the supplemental, you know, the the extra supplemental training aside from being on the chess team. And truthfully, it's funny because a shout out to my original chess coach, Sunil Wiramantri, multiple New York state chess champion, national champion of Sri Lanka. I'm not sure how many times one of the great chess coaches in the country. Um, you know, it's funny. We were all hot shot little kids and Sunil was our coach. And we think, oh yeah, we're like these talented kids and we get this great coach. And the fact is looking back on it, I mean, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but Sunil was the man. Our coach was what was special. We were just a bunch of little snot nosed kids. It wasn't anything special. We were just kids who were like smart enough to like teach ch- chess well enough. So it was like, okay, go play your tournament. But- Sunil... It still, takes some, it still takes some skill set and thought. Oh, oh it does. It does. That, that's, that's a lot of work. Well, I, I was going to say, like, it's kind of crazy. Like I was, I'm not a master. I'm, my, I'm a master chess teacher, I will say. I've been teaching chess for 20 years, and I have, in, I have encyclopedic knowledge of I can sit here and just walk you through. I should be a better player for all the chess that I know, honestly. Right, like, right, right. I know so many – I know detailed historical games by heart, move by move. I could sit here and literally show you just for hours games that I've memorized, historical games. Some uh, games are historical. Some games are unknown games that I've p- picked out of books for my students. But, um, wow. yeah, chess is, uh, chess is an incredible versus, uh, Fisher versus Rusevsky, you know. Yes. Thank you, thank you. Because I cannot remember that last name for anything. I, I never was match. Listen, the game I memorized is a famous game called Fisher versus Rusevsky. Bobby Fisher won the chess championship beating Boris Spassky. Yes, yes. Which, there's a great book called Bobby Goes to War. There's a lot of interesting things about Bobby Fisher. First of all, like historically, first of all, Bobby Fisher is the reason why the chess world champion is a millionaire. Yep. He demanded the seven-figure payday because there was such intrigue about uh, this maverick American playing in the world championship against a Soviet, you know, from the Soviet school, which was the dominant school of chess, that he said, look, everyone in the world wants to see this match, and you're going to have to pay to see it. And, and like the crazy nothing part, short of a million dollars. And the crazy part about that, too, right, and it's funny because my daughter and I was actually watching um, – Oh, of course, now I can't remember the show, but there's a show on um on Netflix, and they just they actually just talk about a bunch of Gambit. No, 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 no. It's a um, they actually talk about a lot of different things, but chess mm. is one of the topics, and they actually mm. explain how chess came to its prominence and like if chess came from wars, like like the, the the game of chess came from old wars and all of this information, and then when it got to Bobby. 
and and that game that match just how like the first time he was he was supposed to meet up he didn't go and then it was a weight game 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 and, and he, he played every head game in the book yep and then he came in and just demolished and um man what i i gotta say man chess rodney i know you was gonna say something about you and chess right like you like you're not that's not your thing right like you know, I the thing is, I couldn't even play checkers. <laughs> it, it, I get on the board. I had little kids. I when I when I was teaching little, working with the after school programs with little kids with disabilities, I had kids whooping me. And I'm like, yo, what you just do? You move like eight pieces. Wait a minute, hold on. You move like eight pieces. <laughs> I was like, how are you over here already? I, you just jumped over. You allowed to jump? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and it was crazy. I was like, what are y'all doing? They were like, oh That's no, so we, we're in the chess team. So I was like, I need to teach me. They was like, they sell board games where it actually teaches you how to play. Oh yeah, yeah. So I call bought one of the board games. I'm sitting here looking at the pieces. Oh my god, <laughs> one diagonally. Uh, how does this work? I was trying to play him and beat him. They were kicking my butt. Every you know, it's one of those things, man. Without a little training, it's tough. It's tough because you could just really just. Just kind of go from here to there, just getting some information and some bearings. Like you know, it's one of you know, it's one of the things. I'll give you a perfect example. First of all, a chess game properly is divided into three segments of the game: the opening game, the middle game, and the end game. A chess player can identify easily what part of the game they're in. In the opening game, the idea is to develop your pieces, which means not pawn moves, but getting all the pieces from the back rank into the game, including castling your king. But a, a very common amateur mistake is just trying to launch into the field of battle, launch in. It's like, nah, that's not how you do it. Just like in a football game, right? We, we go to the line of scrimmage and we call a play and then we execute. You don't just send one guy down the field. That's not how it goes. Same in any sport, right? In basketball, it's like we take the ball down the court. We, we set screens. We move around. So a lot of the time, you, you'll never be able to play an elegant game because you didn't know we had to organize our pieces first. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and the crazy thing about chess. So my dad was the one who taught me chess mm. and, and I, so like we played a lot when I was younger and as I got older, you know, life. So I got into music, I was doing my martial arts. And then as I got even older, it became other things. And now that my daughter's into chess, I'm kind of refining my love for it. Mm. I've always had that love. Like I remember my uncle, um, rest his soul. He, I was in high school and he got me a glass chess set. Mm. With, with the cl- glass board, but you could take the board out and you could put the pieces on. All the pieces were glass. One, it was, um, one was uh, white was glass and black was the frosted glass. Yeah, right. I remember that. Yeah, I had one of those. Yeah, like clear and yes, yes. Yeah, and white was clear and black was white. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. <laughs> it's going to be any more, anyways. <laughs> but, but, and and I'm so mad. I still don't have. I don't have it to this day. But, um, actually, for her birthday, she just we actually just opened it. She got a uh, Harry Potter chess set. So all the pieces are like the first movie, a uh, Sorcerer's Stone. Um, so it's just, um, 
it, it, chess is such an amazing game. Um, it's so crazy. I mean, there's so many things about it I could tell you. Like, no, definitely. It, it, you know. There's so much strategy behind it, but at the same time, chess can truly be. Chess is one of those board games where I feel like you look at it and you play, and when you really understand it, there is a true beauty to chess, like a legitimate beauty. And mm -hmm. it's like you mentioned earlier, to chess. And it's not just the way the pieces moves, it's literally the way your mind works. And, that's, and I think that's like for me, right? I think that's how kind of like I forgot how, how my mind can work because I didn't, I haven't played chess in so long. So playing chess with my daughter and you know, like she's in club for school, so I'm noticing things that she's doing. I'm, I'm like, you know, or her and the missus playing yesterday, and I'm sitting there, I'm, and I'm trying to shut up, but I can't because that's just me. And I'm like, no, don't, don't go there. No, wait, no, look, look, look right there, look. But yeah, chess does for the human mind. To me, it's similar to reading the Art of War, where, where, um, by Sun Tzu, if y'all don't know. Please read yeah. it. It is. It literally lays out life. It's literally. It's not just about war, but it's about the human mind, and it's about how you can use your mind to progress. It sets up your mind to view different personalities in real life, different body language in real life, and it's funny how you know, like we hear people say, you know. I, I, life is life is like a game of chess. It's because you're literally looking at the pieces moving, and you have your king, you have your queen, which essentially should be you and your significant other. You know, pawns is not necessarily about using people, you know, to progress forward, but at the same time, it kind of is. Like it's so funny because of the way the the intricacies of life. And that's to me, that's what makes chess such an interesting game because it really does set up so many different aspects of life. Yeah. I try to highlight that in my lessons. Actually, one thing that I really think I bring to the table as a chess coach is I've worked with so many great coaches. I've worked with a lot of different chess coaches from all over the place um, in camps, in after school settings, et cetera. So I've just out, like they say, uh, Picasso, I think, said good artists imitate great artists steal. And I actively have stolen from some of the best chess coaches out there. Um, one of my uh, former colleagues um, was a was a master. Um, Carlos Arista was uh, a coach I worked with who had the great saying, which I st stole from him, which is I'm not promising anyone they're going to be the next Bobby Fischer. I'm just teaching life lessons using the game of chess, yep. you know? So that's how I, I, I do extract a lot. I kind of, I have those games, like I said, that I've memorized and I narrate them in a way that relates to life. And I use a lot of analogies and that's part of the talent. I think I bring to the table is kind of breaking the game down to size for people. Cause it is a little intimidating at first. And there's a lot of misconceptions people have about it. Like one thing, that people don't understand is get this nonsense out of your head that you can just be smart and be good at chess. That's not how it works. Yeah, you, no. you know, just like you can't be a good athlete and just be a great tennis player. No, 
a great tennis player is someone who's practicing their forehand and their backhand and what have you. And, you know, they're training in it. Same thing with chess. There's no guy who's just like, hey, I'm just smart. And I just play chess at a really, you could be a good player for someone who doesn't play a lot. But to be highly skilled is a person who is training like an athlete. You know, it's, I find it so interesting that you you can view chess and go with, and play it and then watch it and call out moves the same way I can sit down and watch football and just call out every, yeah. call out every position. Kyle's head is spinning, and I'm telling him, look, this was about to happen. The, the left guard's going to come over here. They're gonna, he's like, what? 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 And then what happened? And he's like, how'd you know it was going to happen? I was like, I know the game. I'm going to see it. I played it. I'm, and I, I just find it so interesting how people can do that. Like, I Me see too. it in poker. I see it. I, but you, that's, you, that's being the true student of the game. Yeah. yeah. And you're passionate enough about it that you internalize it and you can break it down. And then that's that gives you the right. That's your license to teach right there. I can. I, there's nothing more to prove to anybody that, you, that you're good at this, that you can teach it because you can see it and tell you what's going to come next. Which, yeah, I mean, I try to fill in a lot of gaps in terms of the students that I've come across. Um, you know, they uh, often have not heard of certain fundamental things. Like, for example, the first professional chess player in world history is Greco. Giochino Greco was considered the first professional player. Um, a lot of, I, I asked students, some students, they're even pretty skilled. They played in tournaments. Who's the first world champion of chess? They don't know. I don't know. Wilhelm Steinitz. Wilhelm Steinitz contributed more to the game of chess than any human individual. Wilhelm Steinitz uplifted the game of chess from the romantic period into the scientific period of chess. And that's actually one thing I'll say about chess is the chess world championship more than any other sport. And I'd be fascinated if someone would argue with this because this is something I came up with as an observation that I deduced on my own. Um, having been a sports fan, you know, of different kinds, the chess world championship is a representation of the cumulative knowledge that has been produced at the world championship level. So unlike in other sports, we'll say, oh, who would win the 88 Raiders or the, you know, the 96 Giants or whatever, you know, I'm just making up things, but it's like, you know, we could speculate who's better, the Showtime Lakers or the you know, the Golden State Warriors or whatever. But in chess, it's not to say that the current world champion is necessarily better than previous world champions. I'm not saying that. But the current world champion is aware of every significant move played by every previous champion. Absolutely. So it represents a cumulative knowledge to a, to an unbelievable extent. Like Magnus Carlsen, the, the previous world champion, who just vacated the world championship. I don't know if you know, but the first ever Chinese world champion in chess history, Ding Loren. And yes. Magnus Carlsen, you know, but Magnus Carlsen's still the highest rated player in the world, even though he chose not to defend his title. But there was a, you know, there's all these different things where they've done these incredible demonstrations of Magnus and his genius. And one thing that I heard of recently is there was a demonstration where they just put whatever it was, circles or squares in the place of all the pieces on the chessboard, not identifying which piece was which, just saying this is where pieces or pawns are. And one after the other after the other, he recognized all these historical positions 
without even knowing which pieces were on which squares. That's insane. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen, I mean, one of the most incredible things I've seen is um, a blindfold display, which is basically uh, a player playing the game without looking at the board once, just simply saying every move and never losing track of the game. The 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 mental the mental strength to do that. Like it's not just memory, it's, no, memory it's, it's, it's visualization. Right, visualization. That's that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> but imagine though Magnus did like he did a thing on CBS television. He did ten blindfold games at once. At once, yeah. That's that's six hundred forty squares. <laughs> And thirty-two pieces on each board to start out with. How do you, and, I mean? And like don't the, like, my YouTube algorithm is going to be screwed up after this episode. Chess <laughs> <laughs> moves, chess. I got my my mind is spinning right now. I was like, I got to watch one of these matches. And, and not yeah. and, and not only just all of that, but you're also talking about ten different thought processes at the same time. While you're doing your own, right? It's it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. It's uh, totally insane. Kind of sounds like you have mutant abilities. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Said, I think it's a cool transition to point out one of the best guys I ever seen play chess was the Beast from X Men. So, uh, personally, uh, I love that. I was like the Beast from X Men. Oh, right, 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 right. Love to read books. You love to play chess. And, and the cool thing about it is, you are an avid, avid geek like the rest of us. We love it, and I'm proud yeah. of it. I'll stand on no my doubt. Yeah, word up. As we speak. And, yeah, yeah. I got my, I got my, uh, my, my dope um, Cyclops on top of a shark on top of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, with freaking laser beams. <laughs> <laughs> you know the crazy, yeah. the crazy thing is how we get a lot of. I mean, Kyle talked about this in previous episodes. How we kind of picked up a lot of things from reading comics and watching cartoons, and especially mm-hmm. things that involve superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, why I know he, come on, it's in his name, K Marvel, it, giant Marvel fan. Oh, it's a mindset, man. You know, it, it's it's a way of life for him. It, it's um, and the cool thing about it is, I always told him, look, man, I'm a I'm a Marvel fan myself. I don't I don't disrespect DC. I I I I, I try to be I try to be as nice as possible. I'm with you on that. Yeah, and and I didn't collect DC, you know. Yeah, and uh, I was like, you know what? I, I I like Batman. I like. I, and I, I'm not gonna respect that DC is trapping out. No, no, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> Batman is cool. Batman is cool. You know, it was a dope DC comic though that I love. Did you ever see this crazy little series called Kingdom Come? Yes, I have. Uh, well, my mother has it, but I was gifted the hard copy, um, the paperback of Kingdom Come. Uh, and it was wrapped in plastic because I wasn't allowed to touch it. So, because I was young, I was really young when I got it. Um, yo, Kingdom Come is insane. You know what that was like for me? That was like the rock beating John Cena type of event for me because I'm a big Captain Marvel fan. And that was the dopest DC comic. I, I mean, big meaning that he's my favorite DC character, I think, is Captain Marvel. Wait, I'm always the type of guy. Quick. Yeah. Also, before you keep going, let I just want to clarify for the people who who don't watch, you know, who don't really know. Yeah, when he says Captain Marvel, God. currently his name is Shazam. 
right, just Shazam. Like, oh, no, I don't. I, I, I meant that. I meant Shazam, not the Marvel because he used to right? be Captain Marvel, and then Marvel. Yeah, it's a long story, but either way, continue. <laughs> I'm just the type of person, and this is just how my mind works. I just, I always like the third party option. I never like what's just presented right to me. So if you're like Superman, I'm like, well, I like Captain Marvel then. Because everyone else likes Superman. So it was just incredible, that story. I don't even remember the details of the story, but Superman was losing his mind. He was, he was out of control. And Captain Marvel, Shazam, was the only one who could take him out. He had to go up in the sky and grab him and, like, electrocute the dude, like, hit him with a few bolts of lightning. Like, no, 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 we, we got to bring you back in. Like, he was the only superhero who was able to go and grab an out-of-control Superman and put him in check, you know? Like, but, yeah, the superhero thing, you know, Marvel is a huge part of my imagination, no doubt, you know? And we, we, we have our qualms about Superman. Just feel like it's but, but that's neither here or there. We ain't going to get into it. We ain't going to deep dive into Superman. <laughs> the, the biggest thing is the learning that we took from the show like the X-Men and the comic like the X-Men. There's so many different characters that came across that, that screen and that book and, that, and those images of what I was one of my favorite X-Men well, within the X-Men series. In Cyclops, uh, just I love the idea of being able to shoot. Who doesn't like to shoot laser beams out of the eyes? Let's, let's, yeah, right. <laughs> not one of those guys that's just strictly Wolverine, Wolverine, and everything Wolverine. There, there's other people in the X Men. Like I want people to understand that. Tons. And um, when you really, what really stood out to me was Cyclops. Well, who also really stood out to me was Beast. And I love the idea that Beast was a smart person who just happened to look in Beast form. Like he can hold the conversation with you. He was mastermind. He he could put things together, but also got down and dirty when it when time came. Right. Like I'm a, I'm gonna protect X Men. I'm gonna make sure the mansion is taken care of. I'm make sure the lay is done. I'm gonna make sure we all good here. So when somebody come to the front gates, I got the kids. I got me. What's up? What's up? It's like we don't got to do nothing. So that's so the idea of bringing up chess, and that was what really stood out to me. Is like, damn, you know who else was playing chess? Man, Beast used to play chess a lot. He used to hang upside down, read books. What well, man, you don't hang upside down and read books all the time? <laughs> like, and, and and tell you what the book is about, and if you have any question, he'll be able to answer it for you. I thought it was cool. I thought it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> little one. Um, uh, I guess you like beast too, um, but but like like I was saying, it, it's a really cool thing to see how we can relate to characters, and even though they're quote unquote, mutants and with super abilities, they're still human, and those little personalities, and just seeing you as a guitar as a as a guitar, well, a bassist, a chess teacher. You've done so many different. Here's a bass guitar, by the way, just to be technical. I don't, I don't get offended and say, "Oh, you play guitar." Well, I do play the bass guitar because actually the the upright bass is from the violin family, and the electric bass is part of the guitar family. Just yeah. technically speaking, <laughs> like I. I just find it cool. It's like you have your own super abilities. Like you have your own mutant abilities. You're like one of the X Men. You. Well, got, I appreciate that, man. You can. That's how I see it when I'm in my element. That's how I feel. <laughs> you know. So and and I'm, I'm finally happy to have like we we pride ourselves on bringing people to the show that have super like 
super abilities in their own way. And it's just cool to have somebody that not only is because I look at chess as a sport. Chess is a sport just as much as video oh, it's crazy. Is sports is a sport. Absolutely. It requires thought process, it requires skill, it requires all that. So it's sport in my book. Well, those guys lose weight at the chess board like football players. They're burning calories. Think, mm-hmm. Just thinking. You burning calories. You know what's funny too? It's like I remember my ex-girlfriend, my college sweetheart. You know, I was playing speed chess. I was playing blitz chess online, and I was lamenting. I was complaining. I was like, I, you know, I keep losing on time, but every game I have a winning position. And she just said to me very coldly and plainly, "That's part of the game." Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the lessons of chess. I can't give you the whole gamut of all the different examples of how chess can emulate life and and so on, but one aspect of it is that like you know the the old saying it's not over till it's over or whatever someone said oh well i was winning and then i made this move that's chess chess requires you don't make that mistake so don't say oh and i've heard this story of people they say oh they had a bad game and they couldn't get over it that's not the attitude of the chess warrior You, you you take your mistakes and you learn from your mistakes and that's kind of the best way to get better really a lot of people, they have this little bump in the road and they don't realize, well, that's what you were supposed to transcend and right. to become a chess player. It wasn't, I had this one embarrassing moment or I made a bad move and, I, and, I, and I'm quitting, <laughs> you know? Real quick. Uh, oh, good. Sorry. I'm not, no, no, I, want, I wanted to... No, uh, please. God, if you want to, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to ask who his favorite, who his favorite x-men was if it wasn't i was gonna gonna drop i was gonna draw you know what's funny shoot man i i honestly i don't like picking favorites in almost anything okay Um, again third party options i was gonna drop the name forge forge is amazing one of my favorite forge one of my favorite my one of my all-time favorite x-men comics was who was it was it the morlocks I forget who it was, but it was like, you know, there was it, it was somehow the the known X-Men, they were missing, they were they were out of sorts, and Forge became the leader. He became and there was like his Forge in the front of the cover, and it's all these younger mutants behind him. Like they were the new mutants who had to be recruited into the X-Men because the X-Men were dead or missing or whatever, you know? Oh, um, you're I'm also a big Gambit man. I gotta say, I gotta drop the name Gambit. Oh, you don't like Gambit? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so to me, Gambit is like Wolverine, where so many people love Wolverine. Love Gambit that it kind of turned me off to him until I got older. You yeah. know what I mean? It's what what made me like Gambit was his relationship with Rogue, because he's one of the few people that can actually touch Rogue and not get his powers taken away because. Right. Energy and or whatever. Right. I, you know, I just as a kid too, and I'm a big Wolverine fan, and there was always that little antagonism between Gambit and Wolverine. They never quite got along, and they were always kind of, you know, messing with each other. But you know, Gambit was the ladies' man. You know, he had the yeah. slick one line. He's just pulling out these cards and stuff. It just seemed really cool. He was just such a, a he's such a bad dude. You know. I mean, my thing, my thing is, P- 
people don't understand how badass Gambit could be because Gambit is technically an Omega level mutant, which essentially means he's top tier, like one of the top, top tiers. And because after that is Beyond Omega, which is like the Phoenix. Um, I love Phoenix. I was going to say that name too. The whole Phoenix thing. I I think first off, she's amazing. I love Phoenixes in general. As a kid, I was kind of obsessed with Phoenixes. I got a question. I got a question for I got a question because I'm going to drop my top five real quick. Yeah, let me hear. Cyclops, Storm, Iceman, Nightcrawler, and Bishop. Those are my type of top five. Yeah. I was going to ask Kyle his top five. I've never asked him his top five before. That's true. Kyle, what's your top five? Like, because that's, that's X Men. Yeah. Ooh. Mine was, mine was Cyclops, mine was Cyclops, Storm, Iceman, Nightcrawler, and Bishop. Oh man, I don't know. My my top five uh would have been Cyclops, Iceman, uh God Arcane. Havoc. We haven't said Havoc. <laughs> you better not say Jubilee. I would jump through Actually, I love Jubilee. Especially if she became a vampire, she was badass. What about Ninja Psylocke? Psylocke was dope. Um, I, I don't know. I honestly, I don't, I really don't think I have, I love Nightcrawler, but I, I never really had a top, a top five when it came to the X-Men. Cause I just, I, I guess well, if, like, there's only like seven oh, people Storm. in the comics and so you'll be like leaving two out. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? There's so many of them. No, there's many, but they don't all appear at the same time. You know, all scattered. Um, Storm is definitely up there. Um, can't forget her. Let's not hate on Colossus. Colossus is just dope. I Colossus. The man. Colossus was the man. You know. I like yeah, Magic more than I like Colossus. His little sister, she's badass. Oh, yeah. He's badass. But, um... Banshee. <laughs> Banshee was a classic one. Oh, Banshee was dope. And there's, yeah, there's too many, man. There's too many. Like... <laughs> oh man, I can't. I, I can't. My, my head. Gene, you know, I was, was always a dope. You know what the thing is that drives me crazy though is like, and some of these Marvel movies have been kind of cool. I'm trying to think which ones I thought were the best. But one of what they always do with these movies though is they always make everything too big. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like one thing that was disappointing to me is in the first X Men movie when they had Wolverine fighting Sabretooth and it was like Hulk fighting the thing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, why are you depicting this with the guys throwing each other like the length of a football field type of thing? I wanted to see superhero martial arts, you know? Mm-hmm. I wanted to see precision fighting, but with superpowers. But they never had that, like, well, Wolverine definitely did. Sabretooth was supposed to be more of a... <clears throat> Excuse me. He had more of the the ruthless kind of just just attack, throw you because he does have right, right, right. He was less precise. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sabretooth was Ultimate Warrior. Uh, as, uh, exactly. Oh, you just made me hate Sabretooth. Okay, so he literally was. He was jacked oh, he was. all the time, running around, just throwing, running through people. Like that's what he was. But that's like, but that's like Iceman and Storm, right? So I love Storm not only because of her historical aspect of comic books. But but she she is somebody who can control the weather. She can literally change the earth. 
in a heartbeat. Iceman doesn't get enough credit because he, once again, is a Beyond Omega mutant. And if he wanted to, he can literally bring the Ice Age in minutes. So if not seconds. All right. And and to me, Iceman was also like that Spider-Man character where there was a lot of jokes. And, you know, but that was once again, that was also because he was insecure about himself, which is why it didn't surprise me back in like 20. Uh, like, I'll say 17. I might be wrong, but he came out as gay. Like he came out and Which character? yeah, Iceman. Bobby oh, Kirk. really? Yes, sir. I feel like that. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I, the only one I remember that being the case was um Quicksilver. Yeah. <laughs> uh, baby. I don't know. Oh, I could have sworn Quicksilver. I got. I got. I, I, got I him on that one. I, I thought I heard about that one, but. So I know he did in the Ultimate comics, but he was, there was also some crazy incest story. Anyways, um, yeah, dude, in the Ultimate comics in the early two thousands, it was insane. It was him and Scarlet Witch. Yeah, it was crazy. On that note, on that note, um, but but we are coming up to the end of the show. Um, yeah. Jeremiah, first and foremost, man, once again, thank you so much for coming on and joining us and chopping oh, it's it a up. pleasure, man. I, I was so much really glad to be here. Nah, man. Um, we do it again sometime, you know? No, for sure. Definitely. Um, we'll definitely have you back on again. Uh, just let everybody know where they can find you. Absolutely. To your show? Yeah, so, um, so first of all, please go to my website, jeremiahhosea.com. There's a bunch of original music. There's like five songs just lined up there. Every song's different instrumentation, really good live musicians that supported me. Um, that's me on bass and vocals and a bunch of other great players on that stuff. Buy a song for a buck. I appreciate it. I got two kids, you know. Um, also, check out my sub stack. I'm really excited to be a citizen journalist at this point. I'm about to drop, hopefully tonight, at the latest tomorrow, but hopefully tonight I'm going to drop my seventh Substack article, which is called Conspiracy Theory. You're misusing the term. Um, and then the baseline. My radio show is every Friday at 1 p.m. on prn.live. So, of course, we're station mates. But yes, um, please tune in. Spread the word. I got great guests uh, lined up and I'm going to keep doing it. I'm super excited to be a part of the whole PRN family. And um, yeah, please reach out, guys. Send me an email, jeremiahhosea at gmail.com. But you can hit me up through the, the website, jeremiahhosea.com. Oh, and, and by the way, at yeah, re remotelearningchess.com. That's my company remote learning chess so you yeah, you are a lesson. get it take a lesson learn something yeah you um, know <laughs> figure out how to move that bishop uh, yeah. <laughs> um also make sure you if you uh want to listen to some of his past episodes and future episodes make sure to listen to the baseline podbean.com man i just interviewed the billionaire steve kirsch <laughs> Damn sure it did, and it was awesome. Um, so once again, brother, thank you so much for coming on the show. All right, Rod, let them know where they can find you. Man, you can find me at Rod underscore Rod underscore Binks on Instagram and at Rod Rod Binks on Twitter. 
And you can also find me, uh, Mr. Marvel 87, both on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. If you want to listen to some past episodes of A Different Angle, there's two places you can find us. One is a differentangle.podbean.com. The other is the network that we are currently on, CBD Media or CBD Network. You can Google it. You'll find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a bunch of other places. But you can catch up on all of our past episodes and staying tuned by subscribing to all of our future episodes. And make sure you you give us five stars. Give us what you think. Comment. We want to know what you think of these shows. Um, also, if you want us to, if you want to bring up any other topics that you think. Uh, would be good to speak about you can go to 88 pod 2023 at gmail.com also follow us 88 pod 2023 both on instagram and x uh we will be posting more guys thank you so much we love y'all stay positive rod hit him with it you're looking for a different angle where the guys to give it to you it's been a different angle guys we love you peace peace